Hello and welcome to Trigonometry. I'm Francis Foster. I'm Constantine Kissen. And this is a show for you if you want honest conversations with fascinating people. Our brilliant and returning guest this week is Mike Driver. You may remember we did an interview with him some time ago. He's a serial entrepreneur, all-round good guy, and someone who has a lot of very counterintuitive ideas. So Mike Driver, welcome back to Trigonometry. I'm delighted to be back. Thanks for having me again. It caught him in too bad the first time. No, it was great. It was great the first time. And it, it's good to have you back. The, one of the reasons we wanted to have you back, actually, is you and I were chatting on the phone the other day. And you were just talking about the situation that we're in now with the lockdown, the government's response to it. And you were saying there's lots of things that uh, we could be doing that we're not doing. There's lots of things that we are doing that we ought not to be doing. So what is your kind of outsider take on everything what stands out for you in the current situation well i mean i think in terms of good news um some of the stats that are coming through at the moment things are starting to get better the rate of infection and the rate of fatality as, ho- as horrible as it is is does seem to be starting to decline around the world so so i think i think it's it's perhaps less bad than it was Mm. Oh, that's yeah. a, a ringing endorsement of the current situation, isn't it? <laughs> um, but uh, uh, so I guess I guess um, you know we're, we're in in lockdown, and the debate about that is largely irrelevant. I think it, you know we are where we are. Mm. Um, I guess. Uh, but do you I think it was the right I'm, decision to go into lockdown? I, I mean, I, I'm glad I didn't have to make it. I think right. uh, I think as the as the captain on the bridge. Um, it's very easy for commentators to um, to criticise when they don't have the responsibility for the consequences of their actions. I think as the as the captain on the bridge, you you all kinds of conflicting information coming through, dynamic moving situation, um, uh, different statistics, different expert opinions, uh, and and really it's very very difficult. And you've got to live with the consequences of your decisions. And I think very much that's the difference between, um, I think the sort of, we had the sort of panic brigade, didn't we? You know, shut down, close borders. Um, well, I think, you know, my first point, I guess, is that, is that panic uh, tends to breed chaos mm. and calm breeds calm. So I wasn't so keen perhaps on some of the more, uh, you know, sort of those people who came along and, and, and sort of screamed, but we didn't really consider the consequences of, of what we were doing. And I think in some ways we're, we're still paying for not having thought through uh, the consequences of a lockdown, whether or not you, you agree with the lockdown or you don't agree with the lockdown, the consequences seem to be uh, or not to have been thought through as well as they might have been. Yeah, and you've talked about the consequences of the lockdown, and we've just seen, I think it's literally today, uh, Virgin, Atlantic, Atla- uh, Virgin Atlantic Australia have gone into administration. We're talking about Primark looking as if they're in real difficulties. Are we, is this going to precipitate the end of the high street as we know it? Because the high street was already struggling, and now this has just been a further body, body blow to them. Well... I think you you have to look at sort of each business in it in, in its own uh, on its own previous performance. I mean, if you take Virgin for example, I mean it's been in, it's heavily in debt. The, the the latest accounts or the last published accounts, it's, it's heavily in debt in the first place. It leases all its aeroplanes. Uh, it basically survives as a business. You know, it runs its business out of advanced ticket sales. Um, COVID was probably a uh, convenient problem. For Mr. Branson, I think he was in trouble anyway. <laughs> so, uh, so it's it, 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 that kind of leads into um, some of the things I think that we're we're getting wrong, or that we need to really think about what we're doing in terms of the way we are supporting uh, we are supporting businesses. Um, because there's a very good argument to say, well, if that business was in trouble in the first place, which uh, you know it was it was hanging on. Um, is it is it the obligation of the government to prop it up? I mean, I see he's put his uh, his island up as mm. collateral. I mean, that's a liability. That I mean, how much does it cost to run it? You know, yeah. it's uh, a tourist destination destination probably costs a couple of million to to run it. You've got to admire the chut spot, haven't you? When he says, oh, "Okay, well, I'll I'll I'll, I'll let you uh, take the cost of my island as a as collateral mm. because there won't be any tourists visiting it for a while." So. So in that respect, I think, 
I think there's some businesses that were that 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 are naturally or were naturally going to fail, uh, and the danger, of course, is is bailing those businesses out um, without obtaining equity for the taxpayer. So what you're really, I think, saying is we shouldn't be bailing out businesses that were about to fail anyway and COVID's just pushed them over the edge. Well, I mean, I think there's a, I don't think necessarily we shouldn't bail, bail them out because there are other considerations to the economy for, mm. yeah, I think that leaves one airline in Australia, for instance, or, you know, which is a whole different problem. To yeah, but Australia's about. great, mate. Who wants to leave? <laughs> it's brilliant. Well, you're not, you're not allowed to go from one state to another anyway at the moment, so they don't really need an airline. They only need yeah. an airline. Just, yeah. just stay home, save lives, enjoy the good weather, have a barbie. Come on. <laughs> but I guess you've got to think about the jobs. So, so it's not necessarily mm. it's difficult without without sort of looking in context to decide whether or not you know we should save this business or that business. But we should certainly be considering what sort of state was the business in before, and therefore. What kind of a deal can we, as the taxpayers, get for whatever we decide to do in order to maintain that business trading? And isn't it, I mean, you, you would know far more about this, obviously, Mike, because you're an entrepreneur, but isn't it the, the state of a small business that you survive month to month, really? A lot of businesses depend purely on their cash flow. And if that suddenly dries up, then after a couple of weeks, you're in, you're in serious problems, aren't you? Well, I think some do, but I actually think it's, uh, and certainly cash is king. The only thing you really need to worry about in, in, in most businesses up to significant turnovers is, is cash flow. Cash flow will, will make or break your business. I absolutely agree with that. I don't, I don't think that once you get past a certain level that the majority of businesses live hand to mouth. I actually think we've got a slightly different dynamic going on. And I think this exposes one of the big issues in the government's response to the crisis with the uh, COVID business interruption mm. loan. Mm. Have I got that right? COVID business interruption loan scheme, um, which, which is um, delivered in the form of a loan to entrepreneurial businesses. And I, I think that's a, that's a major, major issue. Um, and I think it continues what we've seen, which, which I would describe as a, as a breaking, almost a shattering of the covenant between some citizens and society. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think that started with student debt. So, so you, it's a little bit like, I always think with student debt, it's a little bit like the Catholic uh, original sin. You know, you, if you want to go to, you're not, you're not born with sin, you're, you're born with original debt mm-hmm. uh, if you want to educate yourself. And similarly, if you think about, what entrepreneurs do in the economy and the way they actually do work mm-hmm. is is entrepreneurs will run their businesses with uh, a, an element of redundancy in it. Uh, you know, they're looking to survive, um, and they will only take debt on for investment in in productive equipment or people in order to generate a return. And what we're asking entrepreneurs to do now is to take debt on for survival. Well, that changes the whole raison d'etre of entrepreneurialism. And what it, it actually has, I think, quite severe repercussions going into the rest of the economy. So I think entrepreneurial people are the shock absorbers for the economy, and that's what this, this redundancy is. Um, entrepreneur, entrepreneurially run businesses um, tend not to carry debt uh, in most instances, they te- or they tend to carry very manageable debt, and they tend to be able to survive normal shit yeah unfortunately Mm. nobody can survive the deluge of shit that we've got now but they tend to be (laughs) able to survive that normal day to day but what Mm. entrepreneurs says and i think i said this previously is they is they say i don't know what shit's coming down the road Mm. but i know it's coming so i'll i'll have some redundancy in my business i won't be i won't be too leveraged i'll have some cash in the bank and i'll be able to survive those um Mm. unexpected and yet uh, moderately shit event but what what um uh the government is is suggesting is that is the effectively exchange of that redundancy for debt which which changes the way entrepreneurs behave but it also takes away that shock absorber which protects millions of employees in the country from medium level shit so when we get the other side of this and and, and i have to say if we ever, uh, if if they ever facilitate these loans into the businesses, which seems to be uh, another issue 
for the government at the moment. Uh, you know, I, I think it, uh, I've, I've kind of been through three of those sort of authors that everyone quotes as to which three books or authors, if you like, of which, what mess are we in? You know, is it Brave New World? Is it COVID-1984? But I'm actually starting to think we might be in Kafka. Mm. So we've got this sort of bureaucratic, labyrinthine nightmare where, where businesses have, you know, you're basically Joseph K trying to work out uh, how you can obtain this money. And, and I heard recently, I mean, this is Kafkaesque if there ever was one, that one of the things that's prevented people getting access to the loans was European regulation. Mm. I mean, we've left the EU. What is going on? <laughs> I mean, you, you know, you, you just end up going round around this labyrinth and then you die and you don't know how it happened. So, so this is one of those consequences of, of the lockdown. You know, businesses mm. did not, government shut the, the economy down, businesses didn't shut the economy down. So for me, a much better way to support the entrepreneurial world as opposed to the corporate world mm. is helicopter money. So it's direct grants. Mm. Um, what, what loans are going to do is they're going to fragilize a very, very important part of the economy for many years to come. And also completely change the bargain, if you like, between society and business owners. Business owners, that, uh, 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 you know, they have to make the payroll, they have to do your job, plus all the stress of looking after you doing your job, making mm. payroll and doing all the other things that, that business owners have to do. And, and, and now what we do is we add a layer, another layer, of uncertainty and fragility into their businesses. And I think this is the terrible mistake. Mike, and speaking of changing the social contract and the social dynamics and dynamics more generally, do you think that one of the changes that will happen as a result of everything we're dealing with now is a whole set of transformations, some of which are entirely unpredictable at this point? But, you know, that up until now, and probably it's got worse now, you know, there was the fact that, you know, half of people in America, I think, couldn't absorb uh, an extra cost over $400, right? So half of the country essentially living with no savings whatsoever. A lot of the same kind of patterns in businesses where there was very little resilience, particularly, you know, as you make the distinction between corporate and entrepreneurial, we've been living very much as if the good times will last forever. Uh, and uh, winter has come, you know. So what do you see as going to be the, the big transformations that happen out of this in the way that we live our lives? Well, I actually, I actually think there will be what looks like a fairly rapid recovery. Um, but but, but in, in terms, of if, you, if you think of markets, for instance, I think, I think it, it'll, it'll look, um, because, because most of the money, most of the stimulus, if you like, is being funneled to um, the, 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 the corporate sector. Um, and I think you're going to have post... Um, the lockdowns, and once we start to unwind the lockdowns, I think you'll have um, that initial rush of deferred spending that people haven't done for the last few few weeks or few months. Um, I think you're going to have a little bit of that that carpe diem. Mm. Um, <laughs> uh, where 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 you know people perhaps have. Uh, uh, have been somewhat restricted, and, and, and I guess the, 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 the potential for this ever happening again mm. uh, might, might, might fuel that. But, uh, but I think what, you, what you're going to have that's going to make the biggest difference to people's lives is, is I mean, I, I, you know I'm not an economist, or I, I certainly deny all uh, economic background, um, but it's something that is monetized debt spending. So that's essentially where governments... Uh, spend more in the economy than they remove from it in taxation. And that spending is funded by either direct funding from a central bank or the central bank buying more government treasuries. So, so I mean, this is the, I think we've spoken about it before, this is the political victory of modern monetary theory. Mm. So MMT. So this MMT is um, permanent government deficit spending mm. up until the point that it that it causes inflation. So I think I think that that's like crack to politicians because it basically means a politician can promise anything without. They used to promise things and not deliver them. Now they can promise things and not worry how worry about how much they cost. So whether or not 
whichever side of the argument you might fall economically on MMT, I think the the argument's been lost and the, the politicians have, have, have run away with that. So that, that's got some interesting implications. Um, I think in the short term, pragmatically, we have to embrace it because without it, we would end up in sort of a 1930s style uh, depression. What happens after that, I think, is 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 definitely going to be interesting because my view is that is that when governments have no discipline, they get less value for money for their spending. Mm. Uh, that's a really nice way of saying people start to rip them off. Uh, and what MMT needs is is it doesn't need any wastage in the economy. And I think anybody who's ever operated in an economy knows that when there's free money around, deception is Darwinian. Humans will find a way, <laughs> an incredible amount of ways to. So, so I think what you then that's essentially in economic terms they call that a debasement of money. So, so, so I think you will see. Um, initial, um, and, and who knows this goes on, how long this goes on for, but certainly some initial economic growth after all this is over, fueled by government deficit spending, fueled by um, this carpe diem and, and perhaps this deferred spending. But um, I think that once you take that discipline away from government, we might have some interesting times. <laughs> yeah, well, just uh, before Francis, see, I'm sure he's got a question for you. Just to, to put it into simple language for people who may not be economists, just to translate what you've said, what you're really saying is the government is going to create, i.e. print, endless loads of money, and then a lot of that is going to be wasted uh, and stolen, uh, and we're going to be creating growth by printing money. So when you talk about the interesting times, I mean, that is one of my kind of looming foreboding senses at this point is that I'm having a great time as we've discussed many times yeah, before, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but there will be hell to pay at some point down the line for all of us. And I, I just don't see how there weren't. Well, I mean, there's some interesting dynamics going on at the moment that might protect us for a bit longer. So you've got, you do have quite a lot of deflationary, deflationary or disinflation pressure in the economy at the moment. So while that's going on, currently you, you, you're going to be able to get away with 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 this um, this this type of spending. You know, I, I mean, obviously at the moment the the oil price went negative yesterday, basically on the basis that a lot of people didn't realize if they took delivery, they would actually have to store it somewhere. <laughs> the oil is actually a real thing, not a thing yeah, on the screen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so I think when you've got those kind of pressures in the economy, and again, you'll have people better qualified than me in this particular area. It, it, at the moment, as I said, pragmatically, we have no choice. To avoid a 1930 style uh, depression, we have to do this. Uh, I think that in that sense, the, the fact that we do have a lot of uh, deflationary pressures at the moment in, uh, you know, the central banks think they controlled inflation uh, over the la by, by using interest rates over, over the last few years. That is bullshit. It basically out offshoring everything to China and reducing the price of everything or, or subsidizing the price of your taxi rides by, by Uber. Yeah, I, I, I long thought that ceasing quantitative easing would lead to inflation because uh, everything would have to be priced normally. But uh, so, but I think uh, it, it, going off subject there, I, I think that, that we do have a, a window to, to perform this type, these type of operations. Where I think we've got a problem is that it's crack. The politicians never be able to let it go because politicians want to promise things to voters in order mm. for voters to, I, I mean, I think, Am I going to say this out loud in a, in, a, in, a, in somewhere I can never delete? I think it's very possible that Trump will cancel student debt in America. Really? Because, well, he'll do anything to get the second term. If the polls aren't where he wants them to be, um, why not? We're, we're writing checks for everything else. He's, he's writing checks for the oil, oil patch today. Hmm. Um, airline industry yesterday. Why not? Who knows? But but I think that the the scope it's almost like left or right doesn't matter anymore. Yeah. Um, the the scope to 
curry favor uh means that we are we are now in a in a uh mmt world yeah and to quote top gun is uh and i never thought i'd do it on this podcast but i'm going to is donald yeah, oh, trump come on. that's why you've got the uh... <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> you know, they're not actually doing anything though is that yeah it? no they're not i just do it because it makes me think that i'm a fighter pilot but uh it's true is therefore what you're saying is that politicians are writing checks their body can't catch basically well, well, no, well, it's actually, if you think about it, it, it goes back to the consequences um, argument. Trump's only got a four-year term after this uh, election. Mm. Will he bear the consequences of the, you know, what, whatever the denouement, to you, you steal a French phrase, it's about the only French word I know, don't <laughs> ask me what it means, but it sounds good. Uh, <laughs> of it is he's probably not going to be around he's certainly not going to be or unlikely to be president when it happens so so i think i think that's actually that's actually one of the big issues here is the consequences mm. of this won't be borne by the the people who make who make the decision mm. so you're, so you're saying that essentially it's a short-termism that we're sort of breeding now well we're we're we're, we're giving people whose raison d'etre to be a, alive is power, mm. a lever to get themselves power. I don't think they think past that. Mm, I don't yeah. think it's whether they're, they're, they're short-term, long-term, or medium-term. They just want the power. The means justify the ends. Mm. I think you're being very unfair. Jeremy Corbyn is a saint and would have done wonders. But anyway. <laughs> uh, Mike, well, since we are in the political realm now, you and I were chatting about the fact that... Uh, you know, the journalists haven't covered themselves in glory during this time. Uh, and you, you were saying you felt like, you know, Dominic Cummings and the team behind number 10 had played it very cleverly to the point even where, you know, uh, young members of your family were, were, were starting to feel sorry for Boris Johnson. Well, well, don't you think it's the most amazing thing that most people are sat at home and they're looking at the TV and uh, every night at 4.30 or whenever they're, the update show is, and they're turning to each other on their sofas and they're saying, why are these nasty journalists being horrible to these nice politicians? <laughs> <laughs> how, 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 how has this happened? And oh, um, yeah. I mean, I presume it's Cummings. It could be, it could be anybody, I guess, but, but they, they set the trap, didn't they? They've been, they've been like ultra considerate plight. Uh, and at the same time, and I think this goes back, to what I was saying before about how, how easy it is to be critical when you're not responsible for uh, the consequences of action. And I think that, that that's really the thing that people have sat in the sofas and, and anybody who has to make decisions, and everybody has to make key decisions in their lives where they balance pros and cons, where there are co conflicting uh, interests, compromises, where they make sacrifices, and they know that nothing is black and white, and yet we ha we seem to have uh, uh, the press, who who everything is a gotcha or everything is mm. is is seen in black and white terms, and, and I think people just have 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 found that very difficult, and and yet I mean, when my seventeen year old daughter says Boris Johnson is cute, you know the press are getting it wrong, don't you? <laughs> wow. And Mike, we're talking about public perception here and public perception of Boris Johnson. I want to move a little bit towards China. Has this fundamentally changed the way we perceive uh, China, the way we perceive cheap goods that they're producing? Or do you think once we get back to, uh, to normality, it will be business as normal? Well, I mean, globalization has been, I, I'd say, probably the most important force in in our lives mm -hmm. um and 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 i mean there's the arguments at the moment certainly around around medical around protective equipment and so on and so forth and 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 should we could we see some of this uh onshoring back into into the uk or, or the western countries my gut feeling is not that we have tremendously short memories and money talks um it's a it's a big subject when you when you think about what what we actually lost um, because we lost a lot more than the ability to produce medicines and we lost a lot more than the ability to produce 
um, protective equipment, just to take those two examples. Th those two jobs were jobs that people had a tremendous amount of pride in. So while economically you may say, well, you, you earn the same money in a call center as you weren't uh, producing antibiotics. Well, actually, you know, when I went to my factory and produced antibiotics and I came home in the evening, I felt good about what I contributed to society. And perhaps there was much more for me as the, as the employee in what I did than the actual pay. And maybe I'd go to a factory making antibiotics and be happy to earn less hmm. than I would in, in the new economy, whatever that is. So I think we lost a lot more and it would be great if, if we did see some of those activities coming back. Uh, it would potentially be inflationary, I guess. So to go with the the uh, monetized uh, spending, debt expenditure that the governments were doing, we'd have another inflationary uh, contributor to the economy. My suspicion is, I no, I'm not sure. I think we'll 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 see how how much they want to get into it with China on this. I think. Because surely the, the US, in particular Trump, who's notoriously skeptical about China, won't he see this as an opportunity to actually really attack them and try and make some wholesale changes to the trade deal that they have? I think, I think, that's, I think he will want to look like he is. Mm. Uh, but that's different to actually changing um, the terms of trade if you like. Um, and I think that, that co the corporates, the corporates that we're talking about before, the corporates that I, that I think are going to do very well um, from, from this recovery, I think they will resist that. I mean, Apple's supply chain is, is a good case in point, isn't it? The, how do you, I don't know, reshore Foxconn uh, into, into the US? How, how do you tell people that they're, iPhone that cost $1,100 now costs $2,000. I think these are very, very difficult things to imagine happening in, in any more than a superficial way. Maybe for some things around uh, sort of critical supplies, um, I think that it, it's possible, but I, I don't see it happening on a, on a large scale. I think it also depends a lot on what happens and what we find out about how the virus started and how it was spread. So if it, you know, there's a lot of talk now that, this may have escaped from a lab in Wuhan. Uh, and there's a lot of talk about China suppressing information from getting out in order to hoard ventilators and PPE, right? They were not allowing American companies that make PPE to export that PPE in January and February before we were all aware of it. So how, how we respond to China, I think, will depend to a large extent on what the public perception is about you know, is China a good faith actor or not? And I think increasingly we're starting to see that they're not. And, you know, when we talk about antibiotics and stuff, I mean, that is an issue of national security, really, at its core, right? If, if one country can switch off your supplies of antibiotics and PPE and whatever else, um, that, you know, that's a problem. That's a problem. <laughs> it right? is, but I wonder, I wonder how significant it is, even if that did come back in some shape or form how significant it would be and I, and I guess going back to the you've heard the start of, of your point there Constantine is is there is an, an implicit assumption in there that we ever know what the truth is mm. that we ever get to the truth I mean that that seems to be one of the characteristics of the of the world we live in at the moment is is there's, there's just too much information yeah uh, uh, and so how do, how do you ever know which which the true or what the true information is um, I, I agree that it should happen. I just doubt it will. Mm. And I was talking to a friend of mine who's actually an entrepreneur, and he was saying to me that he thinks that what we're going to see is very much like the AIDS pandemic. There was a world before the AIDS pandemic, and then there's a world post-AIDS pandemic. Do you sort of buy into that worldview, Mike, that we're going to have a world which is pre-COVID and now post-COVID, where everything has been changed as a result of the experience that we've gone through? Or is it too early to say, do you think? I, I, th I mean, I, I, from our last podcast, when I say that, I think I said in the last podcast that the, the problem 
with predicting the future isn't that we don't have enough information today. Mm. Is it's that the future is unimaginable. And if you you know, I think we we last spoke uh, a year or so back, mm. uh, and in in some ways that that statement is uh, <laughs> yeah. All I mean, right, Mike, you get the credit. All right, fine. Well done. You were right. Well it's done. It's another example of you know shit's coming, but you don't know what color it is, isn't it? But, right. Uh, and again, it's it's it applies again here. My instinct is things aren't won't possibly change as as much as as people um, think. You have that kind of immediacy, that bias, don't you? That the things that happen to you day today become far more significant, in, in and you 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 imbue them with far more significance. I, I certainly think it, it, you would have got long odds on the thing that every single person in the world's talking about being a virus. It's a bit disappointing. I, if, you, if you'd have said to me, what is the one event that could stop the world and get every talking, I would have said a visiting alien, which would have been much more fun, as, well, if, as long as they were friendly aliens. But that's, that, that's a good point, actually, you know, the fact that we can't imagine what is going to happen. But let's say you're, you, 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 you have a business. How would you deal with this particular situation? If you could give advice to the entrepreneurs out there, what would you do in order to limit the damage of this kind of event? Or is there anything that you can do? Well, that, that's what I have. That's what I have been doing uh, mm. over the last few weeks, and, and it's it's very it's very case specific. And 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 uh, the the government, um, you know, I think it's interesting. You know, when. Uh, Mr. Sunak turned up in his skinny tie and his nice suit. He he really looked like he was he was going to deliver, didn't he? And uh, and then when you sort of scratch the surface of what he said, it, it got it got more and more complicated. And mm. I, and I, I think it's it's interesting. And and, and I, I'd like to take that question in a slightly different direction. So I I, I have been advising businesses specifically um, we moved uh, a, a business that has 130 odd stores in the UK we managed to move a significant proportion of their of their sales online um, at a higher margin mm. which which we think ultimately will will save the business and, and will save um, somewhere in the region of 700 jobs so it's a very specific um, piece of advice for that business and that, and that 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 will be repeated um, you know what can we do how can we think differently how can we think in the box and that'll be very very case specific you know um, but the, I think the problem we've got at a macro level is what I would call the Goldman Sachs problem so so everybody who's involved in in the delivery of this from the government is Goldman Sachs hedge fund mm. um, you know, and they 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 might as well be from another planet when it comes to entrepreneurially run businesses. You know, when you get the train from Houston to Manchester for the Conservative Conference, uh, and you've worked at Goldman or you've worked at a hedge fund, and you're now uh, a, a newly minted MP or a newly minted advisor, those um, industrial estates you go past on the way up. They're in another galaxy. They're on the outer rim. You know, you've no experience of, of the, the stresses and strains. So why, this is again another question, why have we not got somebody from the small and medium-sized business arena involved in the delivery of help? Um, because while those of us who do give advice to businesses are able to look in the micro, there doesn't seem to be anybody with experience in this, in this area advising the government on the macro and this goes back to where we need to how we need to deliver the money and the way we can deliver the money and i think that what they should have done and if anyone listens to this with any influence mm. is they a really easy and quick way and, and relatively fair way uh, to help businesses now would have been able, would have been to reverse last year's paye and ni contributions uh, in business up to a certain size mm. So that would have been an immediate cash injection into, into every company in the UK. And it would have an element of fairness about it because it, it would be pro rata. It would be on a per head basis, PAYE and NI businesses that employ more people would have would received more support. And that would have been a really quick, easy way to helicopter money into businesses that most need it without changing their, 
debt profile, without changing their risk profile, without changing the way that they do business. And, and then to give them the cushion to then think about how can we, can we deliver our service during this period and how do we come out of this period. At the moment, we're, we've got a, uh, as, I, as I mentioned, this, this Kafkaesque labyrinthine, um, in trying to deliver a, a loan um, scheme through the banks, banks asking for personal guarantees, you know, above £250,000, they, they, they want a personal guarantee. All of these things are changing that covenant between entrepreneurs and the wider society. Um, I, and I, is it because they don't understand the difference between the corporate world and the entrepreneurial world. So the corporate world, corporates are um, much more able to access aid, um, much more uh, adapted to trading with a, a heavy um, leverage, heavy debt, whereas entrepreneurial people don't. That's not the way. That's not the way they do business. And yet we've got people who are from that corporate world, that Goldman Sachs world. I wonder if they just don't understand the dynamic, uh, the difference in the dynamic between the two sectors. That, that is what it would appear, uh, unless you, of course, you considered this as it's something that I think, I, I don't really tweet very often these days, but I think I tweeted right at the beginning of this, that the measures that the Chancellor has enacted will represent the biggest transfer of business from small and mid-sized companies to corporates in history. And that I still stand by that now unless they change the way they're going to deliver this aid we will end up with and then this goes to what sort of world we will live in we will live in a world with less companies and do you think that is a fundamental failure of the conservative party the way they've done i it? wonder i wonder if it's a bug or a feature mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's Apologies. an interesting all, point all puns intended yeah no absolutely that that makes a lot of sense. Mike, one of the questions that somebody asked us when we were doing our last live stream, uh, which is actually the question, if you remember, that we always ask at the end of our interviews was, what's the one thing that we're not talking about that we ought to be talking about? And my instinctive response was some of the winners and the positives out of this. Now, obviously, it sounds like one of the winners, in your opinion, will be the, you know, the transnational corporations which I would say is a negative outcome. Uh, but what do you see, who are going to be some of the other people that do well out of this and some of the positives that come out of this? Because no matter how bad a situation, there will always be people who do well out of it and there will always be you know, new, new industries, new creativity, new technology that comes out of it, new ways of doing things. You know, are we going to commute less? Are we going to pollute less? Are we, you know, what are going to be some of the positives that you see coming out of this? Well, I think we were we were headed in very quickly in the wrong direction as a species. Um, I think I think uh, Darwin said that the you know that we we need it's the checks on our expansion that stop us using up all of our resources and and uh, uh, and becoming extinct. And, and I think in a way we had become too adapted or over adapted to to our environment which means that we were basically going to um deplete all the resources until we were gone i mean like you haven't got vegan on us have you <laughs> <laughs> he's got his Not... yoga mat behind there <laughs> well, I, I i always look at th things in, in in terms of micro and macro and in, in the macro i don't think we were going in a very good direction so so you could almost say that anything any change, anything that causes us to pause in, in the direction that we're headed has the potential to be good. Um, and I think, I don't know, it, it's difficult because for most people now, they'll be very, very worried about, you know, their jobs, about um, money and all of the things uh, and their families and, and the opportunities going forward. So, so, I don't want to exaggerate the possibility for personal development from this, but I suspect that, that hopefully there's enough people, and I think that has the potential maybe for what you're looking for, is that people have, have had time to, to pause and think about, think about what's important. Um, that may be a forlorn hope for the human species, but that, that, that 
I guess that's the hope. And Mike, can you see a, a time where actually, because we're going through this experience now and it's making us reevaluate a lot of our lives, like things that you never questioned, we suddenly reevaluate, like commuting, going 40 minutes to a place and coming and then going to an office and 40 minutes back. Running your own business, surely there's going to be a lot of people who are going to look and think to themselves, hang on, why am I paying for office space? This is a complete waste of money when actually the vast majority of people can work remotely. They will be more effective. They'll be happier. And that means that I will save a, a whole ton of money. Well, I think, again, I think maybe it's a little bit even deeper than that. So I agree with you that people don't want to commute. And I think 40 minutes is a generous Mm. estimation of most people's you know in and out of london people are doing two three four hour hour commutes and and i think that's that's uh, you know fundamentally destructive in so many ways but i don't think people want to work at home either i mean i don't know about anybody else but you know i'm surviving here <laughs> we all feel for you mike your life must be terrible <laughs> um but uh i think i think people would like to live in environments where where they worked and where they lived were within walking distance. Mm. You know, I think you sort of get under the skin of how we've designed, designed our cities and, and designed our lives and the basic architecture of the way we conduct, um, conduct ourselves. And, and that, I think what this poses, that isn't working. So it would be great, wouldn't it? Is if you could, you know, walk 15 or 20 minutes to, to your place of work, go home at lunchtime, leave work when you needed to do something urgent, go back to work. And that kind of dynamic somewhere in the middle, if you like, of your, uh, the, 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 the commute, but, but perhaps not, you know, it, it's good. It's good to get, I don't think there's going to be something positive gained. I mean, somebody said to me, somebody asked me the other day, what, what do you think the future looked like? And I was, I was bastardizing the, the Orwell quote from 1984. And, and I said, it's, uh, it's a laptop screen smashing you you in the face forever. And, uh, <laughs> I'm not sure that, that that sitting in our offices glued to this screen is is necessarily that healthy either. So mm. so somewhere in the middle, but I'm not quite sure how we get there. Mm. No, because I'm oh, sorry, Constantine. No, go ahead, mate. Go no, ahead. Be, because it just seems to me that this way that we're living it doesn't seem sustainable if you go back to, you know, the, the nine to five and it didn't seem looking back on it, that it was particularly effective either, but you know, people had done it for generations. Therefore we carried on surely the next generation of, of innovators and people coming out of it are going, well, we've actually managed to break that. Now we've seen that it doesn't work. Therefore let's try this new way. Well, I think we'll definitely have, I think one of the economics effect on economic effects of, of this, situation will be the relative growth of the virtual mm. uh, over the real if you like so the virtual economy over the real economy so 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 you'll see more um cloud-based activity more remote activity and and certainly if you think about um contingency planning for businesses now where they used to have warehouses full of desks that everyone could go to that's that's gone now, hasn't it? So there's going to be a whole different whole different way of of thinking about how you how you plan uh, for this kind of emergency or this kind of this kind of interruption, business interruption going forward. So I think that I think there will be changes, um, and, and people will work from home. Well, I'm just not sure we'll get to that fundamental change that 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 is necessary, which is is more holistic. It's 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 the context of our lives, uh, you know. It is is the big thing that I I think this is even underlined even more is is that technology is not saving you any time. It's not making you any happier. You are constantly available. I mean, the whole world's on shutdown, and yet everybody's cooped up in a room somewhere, you know, talking into a Teams call. Um, it's not improving our lives. It hasn't made, it hasn't given us any more free time. So, so is it, do we need a, a, a much more fundamental reset? I don't know. 
something more for another more fundamental virus to shut us down <laughs> even more that's what we need is what is what mike is exactly what he's saying but uh mike uh, what is it that we're not seeing what is it that we're not talking about what do you with a kind of totally different mindset to most people that i know what what is out of our field of vision that's coming well i think one of the consequences i mean not, i think people are talking about this but that my my biggest fear, and, and it's not my biggest fear for, for the economy or the country, maybe the biggest fear for the country, is the civil liberties implication of, of what will come after this. Um, uh, rushing a vaccine through, that's a frightening prospect um, in many ways. Vaccinating many young people who, who don't necessarily need a vaccine is, is concerning. Um, thinking about how you're going to be monitored, how you're going to be tagged, how, how uh, your movements are going to be big brothered. Um, I think all of these things, I think, is it Jeremy Bentham and the concept of the people's behavior changed, the panopticon, if they're watched all the time, their, their behavior changes. And, and I think that's quite dynamic amongst populations as well. I think for some people, for many people, and it kind of goes back to the, the Huxley and the, the Brave New World view of where we are, is they, is they may embrace that. They may embrace that, um, that, that, that sort of monitoring, that herding, to use a, the phrase in a different way. But there's many, many other people, and they're the people that affect change, who are going to find that intolerable. So it, it took breaking the law to change many of the things that we now take for granted, be it the suffragettes or homosexuality or many of those things. Um, it took people who, 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 who are prepared to step outside the boundaries. And similarly, the way, the way most entrepreneurial people think is, 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 to be, is to be outside of the mainstream. And I think if we limit that, and I think that is, that is perhaps the thing that worries me most, is we will limit the ability of those people who affect change to do so. And so where, where, will, that, where will that leave us in a, in a very homogenous world? That's uh, not a world I particularly want to live in. Mike, well, let me push back on that a little bit, because as you know, I, you know, if there was anyone who was concerned about the erosion of our civil liberties, restrictions of free speech, that's me. I've been pretty outspoken about this for a long time. But... I've got to be honest with you, I don't, I look around, I mean, yes, in Australia, they're talking about some kind of app to track your immunity status. And, and that would be a hill that I'm, I'm prepared to die on. I'm not signing up to any fucking app that tracks me around the country. No way. But, but if you can't from, travel, would you? Right. That, but this is, yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, this, is exactly, this is exactly my point. If, yeah. if someone said to you, uh, your passport is dependent on you carrying your contact tracing app, yeah. Then, then most of us would, and it's, it erodes, doesn't it? So mm. it starts with a contract tracing app. Where does it go after that? Right. But my, my broader point, I mean, I take your point on that, and that is a, a step way too far, in my opinion. But more broadly speaking, I do see the, the, you know, a lot of the people we've had on the show who we like and respect kind of, in my opinion, going way off the deep end on this stuff and talking about how we're all under house arrest and all this crap, which I, I think is a massive exaggeration. I think a temporary and necessary lockdown is not the same as house arrest. I personally don't feel like Western governments have been overly restrictive about this in, in proportion to the threat that we're facing. You know, it is a, a warlike time. You accept a little bit more imposition on your freedoms during that time, provided they're time limited, provided they're specific, provided we can go back to, you know, having a free society afterwards. Are you, do, do you see signs that that's not going to happen? Is, what, what, what's the reason for your concern? I, I never trust people in power to give the keys back. <laughs> um, once, 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 once they get this similar to the, the um, MMT, conversation that we had earlier once you give um people in power power uh and consider that their their reasons for living or the or to obtain power they really don't like giving it back um so i th I, I do i, I while, while i might not be at the at the further end of the spectrum of the previous guests you've had 
we we as a country as a as a species have fought and lost millions of lives to maintain uh freedoms and i don't think that should be lost um there are consequences there's serious consequences to giving up um giving up the things that 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 enable us to change and i think that's that that's what scares me most is when you have a contact tracing app that you need to have you have you've given um the political order a lever in with which to dictate or with which to demand your your obedience and anything that does that anything that does that more i think that that's that would be very very worrying and you, you say you die on a hill for it but the reality is most people won't mm. and then when most people won't you'll be you'll be in the minority and then your wife will want to take a nice holiday somewhere and and your kids will be saying dad's an idiot what difference does it make and and compliance will become the norm and that that worries me i like the fact that we're talking about this but for china it's just business as normal isn't it (laughs) (laughs) i mean that's basically what they do over there so you know mate that just don't don't say stuff like that in your accent please (laughs) it's just what they do over there mate fucking hell uh we're gonna be banned off youtube forever now uh mike listen thank you so much for your time Uh, we really appreciate it and your kind of counterintuitive ideas and a slightly different look at things is always is always brilliant so we really appreciate you coming on i would tell people to follow you on twitter but you don't tweet very much anymore which is still follow (laughs) 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 all right so remind everybody your twitter handle before we let you go uh okay i haven't been on for so long i've uh, I've completely forgotten it uh what is my twitter at mdvex yeah, at MDVEG. Yep. So we'll we'll, yeah. we'll make sure we get that right in the video description. Thanks for coming on, Mike. It's a pleasure as always. And we'll see the rest of you with another live stream tomorrow. 